Hello and welcome to School Growth Mastery, produced by Enrollhand, where we help schools, preschools, colleges and universities find their voice, connect with their ideal parents and grow their enrollment. We will bring on a diverse list of guests from school heads, admissions officers, marketing experts, parents and more, each with a unique insight into how you should grow your school in this changing landscape. Thank you for listening. Hi, Stephen, and welcome to our podcast. It's it's great having you on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So why don't we start by letting us know a little about yourself and most importantly, how you ended up in admissions? Okay, well, uh, I, my name is Stephen Ostendorf. I'm the Director of Graduate Admissions at Bank Street College of Education. Um, in Manhattan. Uh, we're a small graduate school that's focused on a very progressive and thoughtful approach to training teachers and school leaders for public and private schools alike. And how I got into admissions is a, is a bit of a long story. I was an undergraduate student. I was one of those super involved ones. I had a radio show. I was student government president. I worked in the orientation program. I, I worked for the university center. So I got to know a number of administrators, and, and um, I got to know the dean of the associate dean of students very well. Um, and when I was about to graduate, I asked him, "I'm like, I don't know what I want to do with my life, so what should I do?" And he says, "I don't think I've ever met anybody who needs to do what I do more." Um, and I said, "Yeah, that's great. I'm going to go teach." Um, and I went off and I taught for a year, and uh, it didn't. I worked for a private company. It wasn't the the best experience for me. So I reached out to him again, and he goes, I'm going to give you the same advice I gave you a year ago. You need to do what I do. I, I started looking for jobs in higher education. Um, I found a very small school on Long Island in New York, and uh, that was an admissions position. That was almost 20 years ago. Uh, and that position led to being from admissions counselor to uh, director of student affairs and admissions at the same time. I did that for a number of years. I became the director of admissions at that small school for a short period of time. I moved into student affairs. I worked in student affairs at a commuter college for about four and a half years. And then I moved out of admissions and out of higher ed in general and became I started running uh, higher education verticals at two different marketing agencies where I helped uh, nonprofit and for-profit schools develop inquiry generation uh, uh, ways, help increase enrollment. Um, and really just try and manage their marketing. And after two years of doing that, I missed, there was something missing. I, 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 the passion that I had for working with people and working with students just didn't feel like it was there. Um, and so I found my way back into um, admissions, and I've been the director of admissions ever since at two different schools. And it's been an amazing journey. There's just something about the feeling you get when you're working with a student and helping them figure out the direction they want to go, whether that's undergraduate or graduate. If they feel like they've been listened to and that their their journey is beginning because of a conversation that they've had, there's something very fulfilling to that. That's great. And to what extent and maybe how has your short period in uh, inquiry generation and marketing, has that informed your role in admissions at all? I feel that I'm a much better advocate for the colleges I work for. 
when we're working with marketing agencies, when we're working with partners and other organizations, agencies of records, because I know both sides of the table. So I've learned about Google Analytics and I've learned about search engine marketing and I know about social media and community management and paid social. I understand where to go to get information on the better trends are in in traditional and digital marketing. Um, I have a certain amount of very dangerous knowledge uh, when it comes to working with partners, but at the same time, I can also work with an institution and help pull back some expectations on what marketing really is in order to try and marry recruitment efforts on campus with marketing efforts to drive inquiries. And what, what's the balance you would say between in your job, in your role, in your responsibilities between using these techniques you've learned to build awareness compared to face-to-face uh, working with students and helping them make their decision after they have inquired? Well, I mean, there's, there's more factors than just, just the marketing versus the working with students. But I would say that the marketing opens the door. Hmm. Um, and it's my job as an admissions officer. It's my job as a counselor. And I'm going to focus on counselor. I'm the director of admissions, but I see, still see myself as an admissions counselor. My job when I'm working with students is to, is to really help them see where they need to go. Um, I'm not going to tell them to do anything. Um, and sometimes talking to them and sometimes working with them means that they're going to end up somewhere else and may not end up at my institution. Um, but the goal is to help them get to where they need to go. So I'm a big fan of rolling up the sleeves and, and doing the work that needs to be done to work with students. Um, I make phone calls to inquiries. I make phone calls to applicants. I, I answer emails from our inquiries and our applicants. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't just hide behind the desk and dive into the data. I'm, I'm constantly out on the front line. In fact, last night we had an event for career changers. So people who have started and worked in a career for a number of years and have, are thinking about going back to school to become a teacher and an educator. Um, and I spent a lot of time with those students, um, just or those potential students, talking to them about what it takes to become a teacher and what it takes to change your careers and things to think about and, and whether this is the right time or maybe they should be thinking about it in a year when they can put some things in order. Um, it's just really important to have those conversations. Yes, that's really interesting. And we're hearing a lot of questions on that. And that's why I'm trying, I want to dig a little bit deeper here. And the, the question being, how do you need to discipline yourself? Or, and if you do, how do you do that? What do I mean by that? Uh, many uh, of the professions we talk to, they get too caught up in marketing, because marketing and inquiry generation it does open the door, and that's where it all starts, if you like, a lot of us end up focusing 80% of our time on that and neglect the, the on-the-ground talking face-to-face work that you just mentioned. Uh, how do you balance that? Is it your, your passion that drives you uh, to talk to students face-to-face and spend most of your time there? Or do you have a routine that helps you um, balance the two priorities? You know, this, it's a struggle, right? So, I mean, we, we as professionals believe that our job entails um, doing X number of things every single day. If we don't, if we don't check the boxes, um, then we haven't been as successful as we need to be or we haven't done 
the work that needs to get done. Um, you know, I, I like everybody else will develop to do lists. Um, and I, I do put the difference with me is I don't get all that frustrated when I don't complete them. Um, if I have a student who walks into my office when I was supposed to be doing something for the next hour and I work with them for 45 minutes, that's 45 minutes very much well worth taking to work with the student. So it's, a, it's really a focus on customer service um, or student service, whichever way we want to go with it. But my job is to help students. That's the overall mission of what I do. I help students. Um, my title doesn't matter. My position in the institution doesn't matter. The organizational structure doesn't matter. If a student comes in and needs help, I'm there to help them. And if I can't help them, I will get them the help that they need. Um, and then I will get to the other work. So if I then, if after that, that hour, I have to try and spend the next 15 minutes working on proofreading a digital ad or taking a look at a press release or, or jumping on a call with somebody, then that's what I do. But I have to prioritize the students first. Um, they are the reason I do what I do. It's, it's purely following that passion. Um, but at the same time, I got to get the other work done too. So if I have to stay a little late some days, I do. Very interesting. And uh, how, how, so let's go talk about uh, Bank Street College a little bit now. How do you market to prospective teachers? How are they different? How is this job different from Metropolitan College of New York or even Molloy College? What do they want? What do prospective teachers uh, want? Is the messaging different or is it similar? Well, I mean, it all it all starts with the mission. So every every institution has its own place, right? It has its own mission. It has its own drive. It's trying to help students in a very specific way. Um, so if I think about the different, if I think about you know um, the schools that I've been attracted to, the schools that I've worked for, they've all been forward um, focused very much on helping students. Um, grow and develop a sense of purpose um, to, to, to make changes and be change engines as they go forward. Um, so that's part of the marketing. That's got to that's gotta be at the core. There has to be a value proposition in whatever we're doing. Um, and that value can change based on what we're, what we're what, you know, the, the idea of the value, the, the words that go into the value may change, but it's all going to come back to our very progressive um, uh, mission and approach to education. Uh, so it, it's going to happen in a number of different ways. Um, we have to be aspirational in our marketing. We have to talk to students about how what they're going to do um, can ultimately impact the lives of children, um, children's families, um, their communities, um, their own their their own lives, their own professional development as teachers. Um, but there's also got to be a call to action. What do we want them to do? What action do we want them to take? Um, so it's a mix between trying to get them to move in the direction of, of, of engaging with Bank Street, but doing so in a way that makes them feel like those goals that they have for themselves are going to be fulfilled by doing so. Yes, that makes sense. So to a large extent, you said it's aspirational. To what You have the call to action. To what extent do you also talk about practical the practical aspects of being a teacher like career prospects or uh, future salary levels things like that 
So those typically come later. Those, you know, those come at the point where we've already engaged them. They've already started coming in and they've inquired and then we start having conversations. And, and then the questions start coming through is, you know, what are the job prospects and what are the salary ranges? And we can point to the website to the New York City Department of Education and you can see the salary ranges for people who have master's degrees plus a certain number of credits or how it goes. It's very scripted. Um, that information is pretty readily available. Um, the, the ultimate goal is helping them find the very specific thing that they want to do um, and, and really helping them take the next step. Um, applying yeah. is almost a bigger barrier sometimes than the salary. Mm. In what sense? When you are, when you've finished your undergraduate work and you're working full time or you are considering what you want to do, you know, there are a number of things that kind of get you, you get in your own way sometimes. Um, it's, it sometimes can be hard to open up that application and keep going. Writing another essay can be, can be an issue. Life gets in the way of the application process, essentially. Life does get in the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially if you're just settling into a new job. I mean, and then trying to throw, you're learning a new job, you're learning all the, all the, all the, the mechanics of what you need to do on a day-to-day -day basis, and then you're going to throw adding graduate classes on top of it. You know, that can be, that can be very hard. And so it's really counseling students on, on approaches, whether full-time or part-time or less than part-time is the right way to go, and working with them to try and find the right way that works for them. Mm, yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. In terms of the niche you are focused on at uh, Bank Street College, compared to your previous, to Metropolitan College and um, Molloy College, First of all, were they broader in terms of target audience or were they similar to Bank Street in terms of the niche, the, 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 kind, the type of, of student you are targeting? They've all been extremely different. Now, I will say at Malloy, I worked in student affairs, so I wasn't on the admission side. Mm. Um, but my job there was to work with commuter students in order to build campus life. Um, and we were very successful in finding ways to include more people in what we were doing and, and grow, the, grow the, um, the campus life. But so much between Metropolitan College and, and Bank Street, it seems like they're very different. So at Metropolitan College, we had a business program. We had human services. We had emergency management. We had public affairs. Uh, we had um, uh, um, health care business. They were an, an, an education. So there's a number of different niches within the the program but the focus of metropolitan college was on career completers people who may have started a career in the past started a degree in the past and wanted to um to complete their undergraduate degree or they wanted to take their undergraduate degree and move to a, a master's degree they wanted to move up in their career so that was the real focus there um bank street is 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 only a graduate school so this is really to help people take their teaching career to the next level or to begin in a career in, in education. So it sounds like it's less of a niche, right? It's one, it's one focus area. But we've got over 50 different programs in education, uh, from early childhood to childhood education, general ed to special ed, dual language, TESOL, museum, literacy, infancy, math, leadership, child life, um, and curriculum and instruction. Um, so we've got many niches within education um, and so it's that's a blessing and a curse right being this differentiated means we have something for almost everyone but it also means that 
we've got to look in so many different places to find students who would be interested in our programs. Well, yes, I would, I would possibly challenge you there and try and look at it from a different perspective and say that actually Bank Street is more of a niche in the sense that your client is more of a focused persona, whereas at Metropolitan, you might have had uh, a unique persona for career completion, as you mentioned, but there were a number of sub-segments in that. Uh, you offered a number of different routes, whereas um, at Bankstreet, it's education, if I understand correctly, and you might have a number of um, value propositions to offer, but when thinking about attracting your uh, target student, it is quite a focused persona. You can possibly be very focused day in, day out about their needs, their wants, what they're thinking. And in that sense, it could be argued that it's easier to to focus on them. It's easier possibly to get in their, their shoes and try and answer their, their questions. Am I right or wrong there? I think I think there's a there's a a bit of what you're saying that's accurate. So you know, teachers, people who want to become teachers have, um, you know, there are similarities between them. But and this is where I where I will challenge a little bit back and say that when we're looking at we have multiple personas of people that we look for when we're when we're recruiting. So we've got our fifth year students. So students who did an undergraduate degree, whether that's in the humanities um, or in education. Uh, that are looking to get a master's degree in education. So that's one persona. Then there's, and that's a that's a focused area. We can go to the we can go to undergraduate colleges and we can recruit at undergraduate colleges and we can talk to students, right? And we can we can easily do that through grad fairs and we can easily do that through through other means of of doing campus visits. Then there's career accelerators, people who want to take their career to the next level, people who want to who are a either a certified initially certified teacher who want to become professionally certified or who are working at independent schools and want to go for certification. Um, so now we're talking about working professionals. So we've got to go into elementary schools and high schools and, and, and travel around New York City and try and find them at conferences in different areas um, and really look at that niche. So that's another persona within, within teachers. Um, and then the population that we had the event with last night, our career changers. Last night at our career changer event, we had um, we had people from publishing, from consulting, from historical pre- uh, preservation, from labor relations, um, from TV producers, finance, attorneys, investment management, branding and marketing, museum collections, software development, public health and NGOs. These people came to us from all these different industries to explore our career in teaching. So there's no one spot to find a career changer. So we've got to be very nimble and very thoughtful about reaching out to multiple industries to see if there's someone who wants to make that shift in their life. So it's, again, it's a niche within a niche, right? We've got these three different areas that we can really focus on to try and drive students into the institution. Interesting. And each needs something different. And I think that's the key. The value proposition is different for a fifth-year student than it is for a career changer. So that makes perfect sense. But by the way, is there any insightful trend, clear trend from certain industries being drawn to to teaching more than others? 
I can't say with any certainty that there's a trend in the in the industries, um, but I can say for us, we've definitely seen people coming from publishing, marketing, finance, um, really? from law and from the arts. Those areas tend to be the areas where we really talk to career changers. Uh, last night's event was fantastic because we saw a lot more industries, but typically it's it's people who've done a nice career in finance or done a nice career in publishing, sales, um, people who've done a nice, nice have, a, have had a nice career in theater or studio art, um, and then have decided to just make a shift and give back. So you've, you've talked about how counseling, you, you try to keep counseling at the core of what you do. And, uh, but what about if we shift a little bit and talk about how you measure success for yourself, for your what the job you've done on aggregate at the end of the year, you sit at your desk in uh, mid-December and you say, okay, have I succeeded this year? What have I accomplished? What are the key measures? How do you judge yourself, strict or otherwise? Well, it's 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 no secret that the world of enrollment management and and, and admissions has become extremely data driven. Mm -hmm. um, so we evaluate everything that we've done. So we we definitely take a look at um, inquiries generated, but it's not about the number of inquiries as much as it is the number of quality inquiries. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll take a look at inquiries to application ratios. We'll take a look at application to accept ratios. We'll take a look at accept to confirm. So we look at our yield. Um, so we do measure all of that. Um, and then we will work with the business office and we'll work with um, the chief operating officer and we'll have conversations about net tuition revenue and financial aid and discounting. Um, and we'll, we'll do all of that work as well. And we'll have our goal setting and we'll have the conversations around what is it that we need to do in order to improve upon last year. Um, and then we take a look at some of the things that are happening that are beyond those numbers. Um, so we've got special programs that are being developed or new programs that are being developed. And then what's worked? Um, did, were we able to get a cohort in a special program in the Bronx? Or were we able to, um, were we able to successfully launch this grant funded program? Um, did we get people for the, the, the TESOL residency? Um, and so we'll look and we'll see what worked and what didn't. Um, we had one program that, that, that occurred the year before I got here. Where we were able to draw about about a uh, a cohort of fourteen people, which was you know two conference groups, so that's very good. And the next year we worked and we were able to get up, bring that number up to twenty two or twenty three. Um, so that would be a success year over year, right? Um, it's not a huge number, it's not a it's not a huge growth, but it it does make a difference in the overall net tuition revenue. It makes a difference in our work within the community. Um, and what matters is is have we have we fulfilled our mission as an institution? So it does go back to that as well. Um, when I think about marketing efforts, um, again, that comes down to growth. When, you know, when I first got here, we weren't doing all that much digital. We were very heavily traditional marketing, um, and so we had no baselines. Um, and so over the last couple of years, really what we've been doing is is working to drive inquiries, to drive quality inquiries through digital marketing, and set some baselines so that when we do make the decision to work with a marketing partner um, and move in that direction that we have some baseline set so that there is some internal knowledge that we can share and grow from. So, And how did you navigate that discussion? First of all, was it you that brought 
those initiatives, I mean, marketing digital to the table? Was it something that was already brewing in the minds of everyone uh, and you just triggered it? Someone, one of your colleagues, for example, they say they want to dive into marketing, but um, they uh, their team around them is reticent. What do they do? How do they argue the case? Well, I think I think ultimately I was part of the reason I was hired was because of my experience in marketing and my background in that area. Um, you know, I'm I'm a skilled admissions director, but I also come with a knowledge of digital and traditional marketing, and so I think that that does really help me when <laughs> help me when I was looking at this job, and, and so. Um, and I think they knew that there was a deficit, but I don't think they knew which direction to go in and, and, and whether they had the bandwidth to do it. And so it was a slow, it was a slow build. We, we took a look at what was happening in the past and we made some proposals and we had some discussions and we talked about best practices and we talked about what the ultimate um, goals would be of doing it. Uh, but we were also very clear that it may not work. Um, the, at the level that we're spending, at the level that we're doing, it was very possible that that we could get some great insights, but not a whole lot of results. Um, and we needed to be okay with failure if we were going to try and and move forward. Um, and they were and willing to I, take the I will say the dean and the chief operating officer were were very supportive in the idea of doing it. That's, that's excellent. Thank you. Um, going back a bit to your point, you were mentioning earlier how you measure success. And I'm oversimplifying a bit that you talked about Process KPIs, uh, inquiries, application rate, yield rate, etc. Then you talked about financial KPIs, how that translates into uh, the financial aspect. And finally, you, you talked about independently your programs, projects, strategic decisions that you wanted to drive. My question has to do with the process. I mean, do you meet up with... Um, your peers, the rest of the team, and discuss these, what's the frequency, things like that. So my team in admissions is quite small. So we we have weekly meetings every Tuesday. Um, and so that's one area where we, we definitely are able to be very nimble and have very up-to-date conversations every single week. Um, I meet with the dean on a weekly basis as well. So we have conversations around data. We have conversations around numbers. Um, I keep weekly reports on all of our students who are coming in, what our inquiries look like, what our what our applications look like. Um, those are for me to help drive my conversations with my staff and and pick a focus for the week and see which direction we're going to go in. Um, and then I have monthly meetings with with the dean and the chief operating officer to go over where are, where we are in enrollment on a given month, what some strategies may be in order to try and improve certain areas. Um, and then they strategize about what programs are looking really successful and which ones aren't. Um, we don't do much so much on a quarterly basis. Bank Street doesn't have a very structured reporting st- um, piece because we, you know, in the marketing and admissions side, it hasn't. Um, it's been what I've talked about weekly and monthly kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, as we move forward and as we as we engage with marketing agencies and as we move things through, we're going to look to do. <clears throat> Um, at least monthly updates on what's going on with the marketing. Do semesterly updates on how things work for a given term, um, and then quarterly for an overall for an overall um, budget analysis. 
but there's there's a, there's a number of deadlines to hit. There's a number of metrics to hit. So you know, higher education and quarters don't always match up all that well. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. By, you know. by the way, is Bank Street um, rolling admission or we, not? We are rolling admission. So we have a priority submission date for the fall or February 1st. Um, that priority submission date is really based on, you know, trying to get a bulk of our applications in, but also, you know, the, the amount of financial aid that we can offer, we, we do try and get a uh, first-come, first-served basis on. Um, but we do roll. So I will, we recruit almost 12 months a year at this point. And uh, the, the early enrollments would be what percentage of that, of the 12 months? 50% or less than that? We see at least 75 to 80% of our class in prior to May 1st. Okay. That's interesting. So you are rolling, but you do have a very seasonal. Yeah. I mean, most people, I mean, I think, I think, I think we're seasonal because most people think about going to school in the fall. So that means they're going to focus on it on the spring. Um, I think it's the nature of higher education more than it is the nature of banking. Yes. Of course. That makes sense. But your efforts are they, also seasonal, or do they balance out across the 12 months? Uh, you know, our heavy recruitment period is the fall. Uh, so we're, we're, we're pushing really hard from September through November. We do a so lot of work on applications. I'm sorry? You spend, you spend more in the fall, too. You were, uh, your, your staff is more focused uh, on, on enrollment. Yes, and yes. Yeah, so uh, you know, we'll, we'll do a heavier, heavier spend in some of our digital efforts. Um, on peak months, so we'll take a look at Google and what people are searching for and try and hit those. Tends to be, tend, we tend to see people picking up in September, October, um, then again in in, in February, March. Um, not so much in the December area, but um, we do work with a lot of students who are at, you know, undergraduate students who are thinking about applying to grad school in the December to January period because that's when they're off. They have a couple of weeks off at the, at the winter holidays, so they're able to work on their applications. So we do see a peak time there too. Of course. And uh, how about the the teaching market? H- how are you seeing that? Is it a growing market for you? Is it stable? Are you looking to other other ma- new educational markets? If we're talking about whether people are looking to become teachers, there's a lot of data points out there. I mean, the nationwide. Um, as of a study from a, about a couple of years ago now, they were predicting that there was going to be a nationwide um, teacher shortage of about 200,000 or 100,000 teachers a year um, starting in 2025. So we're coming up on that pretty soon. So which means that there's going to be more students in more classes and less people going into teaching because the overall enrollment in teacher preparation programs has declined. Since the you know since 2008 or so when when the real teacher bubble burst in the country. Um, that being said, um, we, we there is there is seems like there's a bit of a resurgence. It seems like there is some growth as the economy has gotten better as things have happened. Um, we've seen more people interested. Um, what Bank Street needs to do better is to is to be able to compete in the market. You know we're in New York City. New York City is a very a very costly DMA. Um, there are a number of really good teacher preparation programs in New York City. So we've got a lot of competition. Um, and so we need to find ways to differentiate ourselves. And we're doing that through through marketing. We're doing that through digital advertising. We're doing that through um, our approach and our mission and, and trying to get, get the word out there. Um, 
but you know we we have we have an uphill battle to climb, and we're looking forward to doing. It. So you're, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but you you're saying that the the market is big enough at this stage, and you're more focused, less focused on the actual trends at this stage, and more on capturing a bigger piece of the pie. That's right. We need, to, we need well, to increase our market share. Yes. Exactly. Okay, and inter- do you focus on uh, international recruitment at all, or is it a small part of your? It's a it's a very small portion. We are we are an F one um, eligible institution. Uh, we do work with international students, um, but we do not have a very large international marketing component. In fact, it's it's pretty minuscule. If it's it's students who find us that we work with. Okay. Okay. And how about uh, out-of-state, I mean, online courses, is that something that you would be looking into or you have started possibly? So it's a a very timely question. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bank Street just launched its first two versions of teacher preparation programs online, um, and they will start in May, and then we've got another cohort coming in 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 the fall. Um, so students who are interested and want to do teacher preparation programs, so early childhood, general and special ed, or childhood, general and special ed, um, can do that this summer at Bank Street through an online portion. Um, it's fully online courses. Now, we can't. it's not a fully online program because the students are still going to have to do supervised field work. It means they're still going to have to do student teaching or work in classrooms. Um, you can't do that online. Um, but they can do it in their local communities, which means they can do it at a distance. So um, if they're looking to get a master's degree in education and they want a, a very progressive approach, we are starting to offer that. And we're going to increase our offerings. And we'll have a couple of leadership programs offered in the in the fall, a couple more special education programs offered in the fall. Um, so we're going to increase our our focus on, on online programs um, starting now. That's that's great. Well done there. Um, bridging that with the fact that you are in New York City, you mentioned earlier, to what extent is that an asset or a liability for you guys? I mean, it's a great city on one hand, but it's a very expensive city at the same time. Yeah, I mean, everything everything's an opportunity. So... New York City has the largest, and I'm 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 pretty sure I'm accurate in this, has the largest public school system in the country. And so having over a million children being educated in a public school system in the city means that there is a constant need for teachers, there is a constant need for really good, thoughtful um, educators, people who want to make a difference. Um, and so the job prospects in New York City are are fantastic, um, and the salaries in New York are better than in a lot of other states and a lot of other cities. So, uh, for students who are looking to become a teacher and do so in one of the most diverse, um, in the largest, um, and in in, um, in in such a in in, in such a um, um, a culturally responsive area, New York City is a very attractive place to become a teacher. Um, but it is, it is expensive. So we do find students that are going to need to, you know, get roommates and they're going to have to commute in from Jersey or come come in from the outer boroughs or, or do a little bit more of a trip. Um, but, um, I, you know, we don't we don't have housing. So a lot of our students are going to be in a, in a more localized area anyway. 
which is why the online programs become so important because now someone who is going to school up in Buffalo and loves living in the Buffalo area or someone who's up in Schenectady or someone who's in Boston or someone who's out in Iowa and they want to get a degree from Bankstreet can do so. Um, we will have to work with them on whatever their state certifications are because that becomes a much more difficult conversation. Um, but they can still get that master's degree from Bankstreet, which has a very you know thoughtful, progressive mission. This has been a great conversation, Stephen. A lot, a lot of information packed into a short 40 minutes. It's it's great to hear how you're trying to differentiate both in in substance, your curriculum, your online efforts, as well as from a, a, a message in a communication perspective. It's going to be very much appreciated by our audience. Well, I'm, I'm, I appreciate your time. I thank you for... Uh for reaching out and I'm very happy to help. Thank you for listening to School Growth Mastery, brought to you by Enrollhub. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe to our show and share this episode with your fellow educators. You can support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. That way more school leaders like you will find us. If you want to learn more about school growth, visit our website at enrollhand.com And please do check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, goodbye for now.